Hey there, it's Dr. Stacy Cordovano. I want veterinarians to learn to be happier, healthier, wealthier, and more grateful for the life that we've created. On this podcast, I will speak with outside-of-the-box thinkers to hear new ideas on ways to improve our day-to-day life. Welcome to The Whole Veterinarian. Hey, everyone. Before I get into today's interview, I want to give a little background about some of the topics that we're going to cover today. I've been digging into the effectiveness of work teams uh, because I think we can all agree that workplace culture has such an important impact on our overall feelings of well-being. So Google conducted a huge study called Project Aristotle that was purely designed to study the effectiveness of teams. And they discovered that the most effective teams do not necessarily have the superstar players or the smartest minds, but they do have a few things in common. So I'm going to quote some things from Google's education portal called Rework, and I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. But basically, they found that effective teams all have five things in common. The first is dependability. Members can reliably complete quality work on time, and their team members can expect that of each other. Number two is structure and clarity. An individual's understanding of job expectations and how to fulfill these expectations are really important for team effectiveness. Number three, finding a sense of purpose in either the work itself or the output is super important. Number four, the subjective judgment that your work is making a difference is also really important for successful teams. And finally, the presence of psychological safety is the most important aspect of an effective team. So members feeling confident in the idea that no one on the team will embarrass or punish anyone else for admitting a mistake, asking a question, or offering a new idea. In fact, it is expected in these types of teams that you speak up with concerns, questions, and failures. So by creating a climate of openness, psychological safety allows for innovation. And finding new and creative ways to operate veterinary practices seems like a key element to creating a healthier and happier future for our profession, in my opinion. Now you get to hear more about positive psychology, psychological safety, and interpersonal incivility from a lovely human being. Dr. Olivia Ogoninska graduated from the University of Poland in 2016 and shortly after graduation moved to the United Kingdom to start clinical practice. She also received her master's in applied positive psychology at Anglia Ruskin University in the UK, and she now operates Vet Gone Real, which provides coaching and mental support to both individuals and teams within veterinary medicine. You get to hear more of her honest and very relatable story in the interview, so let's get right to it. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Liv. Thank you so much for sitting down to chat with me today. How are you? Hi, Stacey. Thank you so much for inviting me. I feel fantastic and I'm really honored to speak with you today. Thank you so much. Sure. I'm excited to speak with you as well. So tell listeners a little bit about your background before we dig into our topic today. Like you guys know, my name is Liv and I'm Polish. I graduated in Poland nearly six years ago. I'm a veterinary surgeon and I came to UK nearly straight after my graduation to pursue my uh, dream of surgical residency. It is something that I fell in love very quickly during my university times. I completed a few externships. It was always within that surgical world. And I came to UK to pursue that dream. 
But always alongside that, I had that another passion for psychology. It wasn't defined at that time, but for some reason, I always knew a lot about people who I worked with <laughs> and they always came to me to, to chat, to talk about their problems. And maybe because I'm a very inquisitive person, I always asked them and they felt listened to. They wanted to tell me their stories and that was always fascinating for me. And with time, that surgical dream, following that path, it unfortunately made me maybe not the best version of myself. The more I dug into that surgical uh, career, the more, let's say, I wasn't the most confident person. I wasn't the most likable person. I was someone who was very, very competitive. And all my anxieties that have been there always, they came to the surface. I was very unsure about everything around me. Everyone around me, I couldn't trust people. So like I said, it wasn't the best version of myself. And then situation changed. I allowed myself to focus a little bit more on that other passion. Uh, this is how I discovered positive psychology. And the moment I saw the description of positive psychology, I was like, oh my God, this is me. <laughs> this is 100% my character. And then gradually I read more, I educated myself more, and then decided to study positive psychology to do masters and what I've been doing for many years talking to people mentoring them helping them and supporting men their mental health suddenly it turned out to be something that actually I was supposed to be doing <laughs> with my life and that turned into my career and my life now great can you define positive psychology for people mm -hmm. so positive psychology is a branch of psychology that investigates the strengths that every individual already has. And we focus on the positive emotions that are within every person. So it's not butterflies and rainbows and um, <laughs> uh, spreading glitter all around how some people might think. It's not about that. It's looking at the reality and accepting that it's not perfect, that there, there is adversity, there's loads of negativity there. But instead of dwelling on it, we say, okay, fine, what can we do about that? How can we use what we already have? And all of us, believe me, guys, you have so much in you that you can use instead of focusing on the problems. So yeah, it's all about happiness, but also it's all about relationships. It's all about social connections. That's a super interesting story. I'm curious, was there like a very specific turning point when you were able to decide that positive psychology or your master's program was the right direction for you versus just sort of slogging through your day-to-day -day career as a veterinarian? Shortly before pandemic, when I was diving deeper and deeper into psychology, and suddenly I realized that the further I get from my surgical dream, the happier I become. And I had to go through that very painful transition where my dream, forever dream of becoming a specialist in surgery, my ambition and something that I had to prove to myself and everyone around, that that actually might not be correct for me. And it felt like a failure. It felt really bad. It was the most difficult decision in my life to give up that surgical dream because everyone knew around me that this is who I wanted to be. So that defined me instead of me defining what my future might be. Yeah, I feel like that's the case for a lot of veterinarians. I don't know if you come across that in your work now, but... <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
hits home, I'm sure, for a lot of people. So I know in your master's study, you focus on a few different things. And one of them is psychological safety, which for me has come up a lot recently. And the more I learn, seeming to be pretty integral for veterinary teams. And I was recently helping to co-lead a session uh, for veterinary leaders. And I mentioned it because lots of people were complaining that they couldn't get their teams to buy in or collaborate. And I mentioned it And I don't think anyone had heard of it. (laughs) So (laughs) when we got together to talk and I realized that you had really been studying it, I was really excited. So can we define psychological safety for listeners and then dig into how it might help or affect veterinary clinics and teams? Yeah, of course. So maybe before we um, give our listeners like a boring definition, (laughs) I would like to introduce you that with a little story. So throughout my career, I somehow felt that I was a bit like a misfit, that it was always something not really correct. Wherever I was, uh, there were some place like GP practice where I felt really comfortable. But then I entered the referral places where I um, always had so many questions. I'm one of those people who refuse to do something if I don't fully understand what is the reason behind it. So I was asking a lot of questions. I didn't internally agree with some of the things that were expected from me. So I didn't feel really safe. And I was in trouble a few times. Maybe this is why I also became a conflict mediator. (laughs) (laughs) And it took me a really long time to realize that what I was actually missing was that certainty that whoever I am, if I try to be my best self, that that is okay and that I am okay to ask questions, to understand, that I'm okay to be different than everyone else, but still accepted. So with time, what I realized that this is actually psychological safety. And as the definition says, it is a common belief of all team members that is okay and acceptable to take the interpersonal risks. What do we mean by those risks? Because that sounds like dangerous, like, okay, what what are those risks? It is simply an open communication. It is being yourself. It is seeking feedback and also speaking up when you need to speak up. So being accepted by the group. And I feel as though in a lot of veterinary clinics, it's sort of, this is the way things have always gone. While someone might want to change things, if it's not feeling safe or feeling welcome to have suggestions, like that's just a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Um, Psychological safety, it's not just something that is a benefit for the employees. It's not uh, giving them hugs and, you know, treating them like their children and just patting their back. Absolutely not. Psychological safety has a clear reason If we feel psychologically safe, if we can say whatever comes to our mind, our concerns, if there is something to be concerned about, like a jeopardy to our patient safety, we feel comfortable enough to speak up about that. So the more psychological safety we have, the more able we are to influence positively the workplace, to bring the positive change, to grow, to develop to bring new ideas, but also to make sure that our patients, so in the healthcare setting, that they are safe. 
because there is, especially in a, in a human care, healthcare, but also in our vet world, there is still a lot of hierarchy, particularly between nurses and vets. Sometimes nurses don't feel safe enough to speak up when they see a mistake of a veterinary surgeon or the other way around. It really depends where on that hierarchy you are and how far developed your career is. You might not feel okay to um, bring the attention of your supervisor to some mistake. And if that happens, then it becomes dangerous because some important situation of problems, mistakes, and errors might be missed. And actually, it is reported very, very common in uh, human literature, in uh, healthcare, and also is more and more studied in uh, veterinary medicine. And for example, in 2019, there was a study performed in the US, and they discovered that um, there was usually around five errors per thousand patient visits across the different practices. So they checked to different environments. So if that is five patients per thousand where the error occurs, altogether it per year, it's thousands and thousands and thousands around the world. So those patients, they their safety is jeopardized. And that increases the disbelief in our industry, the doubt about spending money in our industry. It influences everyone involved, including the big corporations and their financial situation as well. And then how does it affect team members, like on an individual basis? So psychological safety has been proven to definitely support well-being, mental well-being of the team members. So imagine that you are in a team where something really uh, difficult happens to you in your private life. Let's say you're going through a divorce and that obviously influences how you feel, your mood, how much energy you have. If you don't feel psychologically safe, you won't feel okay to tell your co-workers that there is something more happening in my private life. And that is the reason why I don't feel well today. If you don't say that out loud, people will start assuming, and unfortunately, we have a tendency to judge quite quickly. Um, there is quite a lot of blame in our industry, unfortunately. And people assume, oh, maybe that person's lazy. Maybe that person's just being grumpy. So a lot of bad things. And like in a vicious circle, the more negativity people assume, the more is generated. And it spreads like coronavirus <laughs> from one person to another. That emotional contagion, it drains energy from everyone around. So it, it definitely influences mental well-being of everyone involved. You know, if you can't say what is really true, but your uh, physical health as well, if you have a pain somewhere in your body, you cannot um, say it out loud because you might be judged again or you're worried about your job, um, your physical body suffers. It builds relationship within the team as well. It's bonding when you can be honest with your team. It is uh, creating distance between people if you cannot be open with them. So yeah, individual relationships and also how efficient, how engaged you are. Psychological safety influences everything within the team and within the organization. So for people listening that feel like this might not be in place where they're working, how would they go about establishing even an introduction to the idea? 
I think the most important step, the first step is to make sure that your leader knows what psychological safety is, because it is within their hands to start changing the environment. And I always say that our culture, what we build within within the workplace, so our beliefs, our uh, behaviors, our connections within the team, that is the culture within the workplace, um, it is influenced by every single person within that industry. But who has the most influence to start something new, a revolution, is the leader. Because they make decisions, they change the policies, they influence the life of every single team member. So if your leader knows what psychological safety is, that is the first fantastic step. And if they see a benefit for everyone in that psychological safety, then might decide, okay, well, how do we do that then? And then it's a, a matter of conversation with the whole team, checking with them. There are sets of questions that are available online, uh, questions that I use in my own private practice and, and research and my consulting to check the level of psychological safety within your team and leaders can use that. And if they discover that it's not great, then looking for the change that is needed. So do we need more open conversations? Is there a person who is particularly judgmental? Maybe a bully, maybe someone who spreads incivility within the team. Maybe that person needs to be approached. Maybe it's not just one person, maybe it's many of us. Maybe we, we are all overstressed and we don't have any other way to release the steam and we just end up being incivil. But there might be other better way to release that stress. So there's a, a lot of elements that build that psychological safety, but starts with the leader and then um, it spreads on every level within the team and everyone can be involved. We all can change something towards being more open and safe. Yeah, great. I know a lot of the research shows that even in teams where they've tried to implement this, if the leader doesn't follow through and isn't open with admitting mistakes or sharing stories, I know that that tends to fall apart. So I think that's a really important point. And then you mentioned the incivility, and I know that's also part of your study. So how does that sort of all play together? And tell us a little bit more about workplace culture. So with incivility is quite a difficult one. And it's interesting because recently I gave a talk on incivility and the response was very heated. <laughs> it seems like a lot of us suffer from incivility, but I also touch on the very sensitive chord in um, people's minds and hearts because part of the incivility is, for example, gossip and venting. That is incivility as well. So not only talking really bad things about someone openly, uh, criticizing nasty stares, um, not only ignoring people. So these are like open, very visible elements of incivility. But the less obvious, the less visible ones are also gossip and venting. Gossiping is something that we have very... It's, it's, it's natural to us because we want to be a part of a group. And especially if someone irritates us, if we have strong emotions about someone, then we need to release that. We feel like we need to just release that steam and then someone gets engaged and this is how gossip generates. And there wouldn't be anything bad about that if that was just a release of emotions and if that led to any um, solutions to repairing that problem with another person. Well, it turns into 
talking about someone just for the sake of talking about someone. And we like that because we like the bonding aspect of the gossip. We want to be part of the group. We want to know. We don't want to be left out. So from our psychological perspective, we want to be informed. We don't want to be the, the topic of the gossip, but we want to be with the people who do that gossip, mm-hmm. like turn it around. But if it turns into just spreading something that is not true or sharing that negativity instead of helping someone who actually might benefit from our help and support, then that is incivility. And the same with venting. If we don't seek solutions, if we talk for the sake of talking and again and again and again about the same and again, <laughs> yeah. Again, it spreads all over and it doesn't bring solutions. (laughs) And we often refuse to listen to the solutions because we like that act of wine and whining (laughs) together in a group. (laughs) That incivility is not obvious, that gossip and that venting, it is okay to, to release the emotions, but it really depends how we do that. So it doesn't turn into incivility. But why is it a vicious circle? Because the more pressure we feel, So we are in a very stressful situation now in the world of pandemic. In the UK, Brexit, everyone's freaking out. It's really difficult for everyone. The more pressure we feel, the more emotions we have. So the more we will release them and probably in a not correct way. And that creates more incivility on top of that. So you can see like one follows Mm -hmm. another. It's quite difficult to pull ourselves out of that vicious circle. Is there a healthier way that people could vent or release emotions? I mean, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So interestingly, this is something that I spoke about with my one of my coaches. She's a practice manager and uh, she obviously has so many duties and she takes care of so many people. So people will come to her also with questions, um, comments, <laughs> and that can easily turn into venting session. And she's a lovely person. So for her, it's really difficult to just stop them and say, okay, (laughs) it's let's stop vending for now. That's hard, yeah. It is hard. But so the first step is for people to understand how harmful it actually is. So if you show them, listen, if we have a venting session in the end of the session, okay, we release a bit of emotions, but I am left with nothing. There's nothing that I can do to change my situation. So I am stuck in a situation. We don't see anything ahead of us, no um, outcome, no exit, basically. So that is one thing to realize that is pointless. It really doesn't bring anything good. The second step is to realize that actually for some people, especially if you're in a management, you might not feel like a good manager if you just spend two hours moaning about one of your employees because your role is to take care of them instead of criticizing them. So um, the moral aspect and your like how well you feel with yourself, that is not helping. So once we realize that, guys, what we're doing is okay for a short moment, but it doesn't bring any solutions and actually feels bad in the end, that it is detrimental, then we'll trigger people to say, yeah, actually, you're right. Is there any other way? And this is where we can introduce change. So I have a little recipe that I give my coaches uh, when they meet a friend, uh, another vet, and there's like, okay, I need to tell her about my boyfriend. I need to tell her about this, this and that. But somehow the work constantly creeps to the surface and they constantly try to talk about that work instead of the plethora of other things that they be uh, talking about. So 
guys, let's give ourselves a period of time, maybe 10 minutes. Set up the alarm on your phone and tell uh, each other, okay, this is our chance to vent. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. Anything that comes to your mind, just release the steam. We need to do that. But when you can hear that alarm ringing, this is the moment to literally take a break, take a deep breath, and maybe reflect a little bit. So what do we talk about? Okay, so we moan about this and this and this and that. We went through those points already. It's pointless to go in circles and talk about the same the same all the time. What can we do differently now? Do you have any ideas? Could you advise me on that? And this is really bonding because we show one another that I care for you. I don't want you to be miserable anymore. How can we figure out that together? What is the next step? What is the easy thing that I can do in the next half an hour, the next day? Uh, maybe we can start making some lists and like uh, plenty of things depending on the situation. But this is really loving another person and caring for another person when we help them to come out of that misery instead of perpetuating that misery. I hope that sounds reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, that certainly happens a lot, right? Personally speaking, that happens a lot. So yeah, that's a great to set the timer and then maybe come up with some goals. Even if you don't come up with goals, I feel like setting a timer and having a limit on it is a great suggestion. (laughs) So then to kind of go back, I feel like these definitely all tie in. So if you could give a leader in a practice advice on, you know, both the incivility and the psychological safety, what would you say are like the top things that they would see improved from their team if they dug into this and made it a priority? I think one very important sign for the team leader that they might not have the best level of psychological safety in the team is the fact that they think that everything's all right <laughs> because that is not true <laughs> no way there's possible. definitely something <laughs> yeah there's definitely something that is not perfect that is not all right so do you actually know your employees like do you know those people do you know something more about them uh, apart from their role in the clinic do you know something more apart from knowing that they're a vet or a nurse and they work nights or days that's the very first question how well do you know them and it might seem a little bit like oh it's not my role to be their friend the truth is that to lead people well You need to know how they approach their work. You need to know what kind of people they are. Because we don't have one solution that fits everyone. In the leadership, we need to be quite flexible. So for some people, some solutions will be completely um, useless. For others, this approach will be perfect. So the, the better you know your team, the better you can lead them. And then the next question is, how much time do you spend with them one-on-one? And this is what everyone says. Every single um, leader, business leader that I know, that I spoke to, listened to, they say that those one-on-one meetings, even if it's like 15 minutes, people feel really important if you check on them, if you speak with them one-on-one. And what we all want in our life is attention, to feel valued to feel appreciated. So yeah, do you know them? Do you appreciate them? Do you know about their problems? Do you think that they would come to you if they had a real problem? That's a great 
question. That's a good standard, I think. That's a <laughs> wonderful standard. And then is there a general benefit that they may see if they do these things? Or is that also very specific depending on the situation? Well, the general benefit is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, money. <laughs> money that stays in the practice. <laughs> if we uh, if we put on the side all the well-being of the people, their happiness, their subjective well-being, what that generates is a revenue. Because consider that how many people now leave the profession? How many people yeah, are just the, right. the turnover? The turnover, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Why do people leave? Because they lack something very basic. So their very basic psychological needs are not fulfilled. And you can give them as much money as you want, but it won't keep them in a job if the workplace environment is toxic, if they are very unhappy, if there's, if there's a conflict with some other coworker. No one will stay there forever. All they will stay and they will just really get very bad, very nasty and toxic to everyone around. So the benefit for the clinic is that those people will feel appreciated, protected, safe, well taken care of, and they will stay and they will give the best of themselves to your clinic, which will generate happy clients, will generate more clients, more people coming in to the team because they will see, oh, I think this is a good team. Maybe it's worth joining them. And in the end, well... The revenue and all those things. So yeah, I hope yeah. that is no, a good that's, incentive. I mean, as well. that's a good that's a good way to get to veterinary practice <laughs> owners' hearts. I think for sure, especially the turnover thing. I mean, aside from making money, it's difficult to find people. So that is stressful as it is. So I want to hear what you are offering to help people in these ways. What do you have going on? Yeah, there's a lot of things that uh, I do at the moment, and there's a lot of ways that I can help you, depending if you're individual, if you're a member of a team, if you're a team leader. I really, truly believe in that holistic approach to me mental well-being in the organization. So the help that many of us offer, there's a lot of coaches out there, we help the individuals. So if someone really struggles, goes through burnout, I coach people, help them to set up new goals, um, to defeat some limitations like anxieties, their fears, their low self-confidence, imposter syndrome, perfections. There's a lot of things that I can help them to defeat. But that is just the individual level. And I always say that, you know, you can have the most resilient person and you drop them in a toxic environment and they will crumble because <laughs> no one is mm -hmm. invincible. So what we need is also um, the leader who will lead the whole team, will make sure that they have an opportunity to develop those healthy social connections within the team. What I do on top of that individual help, I work with the whole teams. So currently I have a team in Ireland who I take care of and it's nearly 200 people team. And I support building those healthy connections within the team. I really believe that that is a very important ingredient of that approach. And the third element is policy. So the, from the organization perspective, what can be done? That is something that the management leaders, the owners, they can change, they can introduce, but they can be influenced by, uh, by their team, by the suggestions, by observation of what works or not. I really want to highlight that I know that leaders are going through their own version of burnout. And I see that. So we cannot push the responsibility entirely on the leaders. 
I see you guys. I feel you. I know you suffer. And I am working on the way of helping you guys. So that is coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> and then the team, the connections within the team and the individual. And that's, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do and help with. <laughs> Perfect. So if people want to find out more about those offerings, where do they go? Um, so you can find me on my website, so vetgonreal.com. There's loads of updates on Instagram. So uh, vetgonreal. It's easy. It's always that gone real. Uh, <laughs> and on LinkedIn, you can contact me through there. And my email address is vetgonreal at gmail.com. So please feel free to email me if you have any questions, any advice. There are quite a few speaking events recently. Some of them, they are available for free online. Some of them you would need to pro probably register. And I'm always happy to meet a new person, meet on Zoom online and speak with you and listen to your needs and give you some suggestions or start working with you. Awesome. I will make sure to link all of that stuff in the show notes so people can easily find you. We'll make sure to link some of the free webinars too. And then last question that I ask all of my guests, what is one small thing that has brought you joy this past week? <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> there are quite few. I was thinking about that today and what really hit me this week, this month basically, is the beauty of actually the change occurring in our industry. So it's not just me. And let's be clear, there are so many other coaches, beautiful people, beautiful outside, inside, who are doing wonderful things to change our industry. And I met some of them uh, last week, and I feel truly blessed to to meet them, to exchange our points of view, our knowledge, our experience, to start working together on certain things. I really believe in the power of partnership. Uh, we cannot make a change solo. We don't need to be worried about being competitive because there are thousands of vets out there and they all need our help. <laughs> so we need to support one another. And I'm so grateful I could meet so many wonderful people. So yeah, that was definitely a perk of my, my week and month. Awesome. Awesome. I 100% agree. The movement and change that's happening is really exciting and inspiring. So thank you for being a part of that. I oh, appreciate thank it you so much. And to you too, like you do amazing work as well through talking to so many people, bringing that awareness. Thank you so much, Stacey. <laughs> thank you. Thanks again for sitting down with me today, Liv. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Thanks again for listening into my discussion with Liv. She is amazing and all of her contact information will be in the show notes for sure. I hope you were able to get some takeaways to put into practice or at least heard something that you can talk with your management team about. I'll put a bunch of resources in the show notes for you if you want to dig in further. As always, I so appreciate your time and support. If you want to get monthly reminders and other tidbits, please subscribe to our newsletter at thewholeveterinarian.com slash subscribe and make sure to follow me on Instagram at thewholeveterinarian. Have a great week, find some small moments of joy, and I will talk to you again soon.